Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Jonathan All. Today we're taking a look at the impact of more than 80 days of flooding along rivers in the St. Louis region, where many area residents are still feeling the effects. With us in the studio to talk about how they've been dealing with flooding in their respective communities are Adam Jones, a fourth-generation farmer on about 900 acres of land in Missouri in Lincoln and St. Charles counties, and Herb Simmons, the longtime mayor of East Cardinlet in Illinois. Adam just fought the recent flooding as about half of his acreage is in the floodplain, and Herb is the director of the St. Clair County Emergency Management Agency. Adam and Herb, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks Adam, for having us. Adam, let's start with you. So tell me about your farm. About 900 acres? Yes, sir. What, did you, what were you able to get in the ground <laughs> at all? Uh, so we were able to – we're lucky enough that about half of our ground is in the hills. Um, so we were lucky enough to get our hill ground in, but it was significantly delayed because of all the rain that we've had. Um, but all of our bottom ground is sitting idle at the moment. Um, the water has receded off of, off of most of it, but uh, it's still very wet, and we just got another big rain on Friday and Saturday. So <clears throat> we still don't have anything planted on those acres, and uh, about half of that is actually still underwater because it's a little bit lower. So um, uh, when, uh, what are you expecting in yields of what you were able to plant? Um, our, our yields will be significantly um, hampered because of the, the lateness of our planting. We know our, our beans, we actually finished planting beans uh, June 15th, which is about a month later than we'd like to have them be mm-hmm. finished planting. Um, and our corn was planted about three to four weeks later as well. So you did get in by the June 5th deadline for crop insurance on the corn? Uh, yes, and our, our side is actually June 1st is, okay. is the cutoff date. But, yeah, we were, we were able to plant before that, but just barely. I think we finished planting corn about you know May 29th. Now, I don't want to get too far down the, the rabbit hole of agriculture economics here, but beans, the market's just incredibly depressed. Uh, the trade war is causing problems. But you got to that point where you kind of had to plant beans because it was too late to put more corn in the ground by the time the rest of the field dried out? Uh, a lot of people did that, um, were forced to make that decision. We were lucky enough that we found a couple of windows, and we're smaller farmers, so we were able to get our corn in where we had planned to plant corn. Okay. Um, just because we're a smaller farmer, we were able to hit the windows just perfectly. But some of your friends and neighbors who farmed, Absolutely. they were definitely in that where they had no choice to plant beans knowing full well that the market for beans is just – horrible yep. and doesn't look like it's going to rebound, but they had to plant beans because it was just too late to put corn in the ground. Yeah, and the carryover in the bean market is going to be huge this year, you know, which which impacts the potential price looking forward too. But actually yesterday as I drove to our FSA office to report planted acreage, I just was noticing all the ground is planted in beans, you know, on, on a road that would normally be usually everybody around us is half and half and they'll rotate corn to beans pretty equally. Both sides of the road were just solid beans for all 20 miles. Um, so lots of beans this year. And, and that's just going to make the problem worse because the market's already bad, but we're going to be flooded with even more beans because people didn't have a choice. That, I, would, I would think so, yes. So to, to the average person that may not know a lot about agriculture and they're just driving through Missouri or Illinois, what they see is they may look at a, a cornfield or a bean field and a lot of it looks pretty good. And then there's that low-lying area where there's almost nothing growing or what is growing is a lot shorter um, what is that going to end up looking like at the end of the growing season and around harvest time? Well, if that plant even puts on, uh, you know, puts soybeans on it or puts an ear on the, on the corn, um, it'll be very small. And as you look across a lot of the cornfields, you know, usually we're looking for even emergence and an even stand mm-hmm. so that all the plants get the same sunlight, get the same nutrients, use the same nutrients and so on. And also so that they're tall enough to drown out weeds uh, to keep sunlight from getting to the weeds. And every field of corn that you see is very, very uneven. You know, so our yields across the state of Missouri and certainly uh, south-central Illinois 
are going to be very impacted, probably 20 to 35 percent, I would say at least. One thing I did find really interesting is that old phrase that's really totally outdated, corn should be knee-high by the 4th of July, <laughs> has not been relevant for decades. Right. And, you know, I just, you know, most 4th of Julys, if you're out in a field, the corn is eye height or higher. But this year, really, if you are knee-high by the 4th of July, you might be doing better than a lot of corn farmers. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, we, we have a lot of people around us who have had to replant, um, and there's a lot of places up, up in northern Missouri. Uh, I have friends that have corn that's, you know, 12 inches tall, and that's, that's unheard of because they were still planting probably the 5th of June or 7th of June or something like that. So, yeah, knee-high by the 4th of July has been outdated for a very long time. You were hoping it's over your head or even tasseling by now. Um, but, but, yeah, the, the, it's, it's way behind schedule. Corn is, is very small, um, and like I said, yields would be very low. You know, we would love to hear your stories as well. If you were affected by the flood, if flooding uh, hurt you or your property in some way, we'd love to hear about it. Join the conversation by giving us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Herb Simmons, now the town you are the mayor of, uh, Carondelet, not affected by the flood this time around? Uh, it was affected, but not like it was back in uh, 1993 or 2015. Uh, we didn't have any of the uh, major flooding that we did back then. Well, what about, because uh, you're the, the emergency management agent for all of St. Clair County, how did the county in general fare this time around? This time, I, I believe we uh, we did real well, and, uh, and I, I attribute that to a lot of uh, uh, Improvements to the levee system uh, mm-hmm. throughout the county um, along the Mississippi River. Um, the uh, three counties, um, Madison, St. Clair, and Monroe, had uh, all went together and formed a, uh, a flood uh, prevention uh, council and uh, uh, passed a uh, tax to uh, do some much-needed repair. They didn't want to wait for the uh, federal government, which uh, wasn't going to be able to offer any help uh, until about 2044. And uh, there's going to be a lot of flooding. That soon? <laughs> going to be a lot of flooding between now and, and then. So those three counties went together. And, uh, you know, there's been like uh, $80 million that's been spent uh, over the last several years of improving the levee system, uh, putting in um, new pumps, uh, new relief wells, uh, and um, just uh, improving the entire system. So uh, when I get asked a question, well, you know, how did it fare this time? We, we did well. Uh, in 2015, you know, we had multiple uh, uh, roads throughout the county that was uh, uh, underwater damaged. And uh, this time around, I mean, we've probably got maybe uh, – anywhere from 15 to 20 of them that uh, was that was flooded that's going to have to have some major repairs done to them but uh, yeah we, we we fared fairly well this this time around but even though you fared well and maybe there wasn't as much property damage there's still a huge toll on a county a city individual property owners when there's a threat of a flood can you talk us through about uh, you know because people can look now it looks dry and they think well there wasn't a ton of, ton of damage so no harm done but there's still a big effect on your community. Oh, there's a, yeah, a large effect. In fact, uh, we we started uh, preparing for this uh, flooding in March. Uh, the uh, state of Illinois Emergency Management Agency uh, came down and met with us. Uh, I think it was like March uh, 10th or 11th, 
and they had uh, representatives there from the National Weather Service, the Corps of Engineers, and uh, we had an all-day um, in-service, basically, and they were giving us the prediction that we could see uh, record-level uh, f- flooding dating back to 1993, which scared me because I was there in 93. And uh, so uh, they convinced me uh, that day that we went back, and the following day we started pre-filling sandbags and uh, um, got some of the inmates out of the uh, county jail to help us. And uh, we, we bagged up about uh, 20,000 sandbags and uh, pre-staged them throughout the county in the areas that we are known to have flooding issues. Um, so we took it serious. And uh, then when we, day, we were getting daily reports from the Corps of Engineers, uh, conference calls, and uh, so as we were watching the prediction of what was going on up north above us and the amount of water that was still up there and the ice melting that had to come our way, um, we, we kind of planned accordingly. So um, being proactive rather than being reactive is like we, we like to say. Um, and then we reached the point where uh, when the river was about uh, 44 feet, I, I called uh, in the uh, area where I'm the mayor in East Cronulla, Illinois, in the Dupo area, uh, called a, a town hall meeting at the uh, local high school and uh, standing room only couldn't put anybody else in there and and I basically uh, had representatives there from our first responders from the uh, political sector or county chairman uh, Mark Kern was there the health department and we got everybody together just to say yeah if the river continues to go uh, higher uh, when it gets to be about 47 feet um Keeping in mind that in 1993, it reached 49.6 in our area, uh, which was real close. There wasn't a lot of freeboard left. So I, I told them then we be, would be calling for a voluntary evacuation. And uh, we, we, we were clear, you don't have to run home and start packing up your belongings. But, you know, just start being vigilant. Start keeping an eye on what we're doing daily. Uh, but it does take a toll. It takes a toll on uh, personal families. Uh, our first responders uh, have to uh, plan accordingly. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, things that didn't take place this time that we did in 93 and even in 2015. Uh, even though we had some rain this time, in 93 we had rain for three weeks solid, it seemed like, every day. Uh, from the time you woke up until the next morning, it would just rained. And uh, as Alan and I was talking, you know, there was issues with the reservoirs uh, being over full back then that they had to start releasing so there was a perfect storm back then that well, we didn't see this time what was the mood like at that town hall meeting town hall meeting uh, mood was uh, great uh, we got a lot of compliments uh, we're very active on our social media and uh, we actually streamed the uh, meeting that night uh, there was a couple of uh, uh, spectators there that uh, you could tell was aggravated uh um, one gentleman was upset that a pump that we had loaned him uh, didn't have any gas in it when it was brought to him. Uh, you know, but that's just people's anxiety and the unknown. And the purpose of that meeting was we wanted to, we wanted them to know that we are prepared and we're monitoring this, and we wanted them to monitor it also. Uh, but no, the overall meeting people came up and. Uh, uh, about the first uh, 20 minutes of the meeting, we noticed some people had got up and started leaving, and we found out later on that evening they left because they'd heard what they wanted to hear in the first 20 minutes, that, no, they didn't have to go home and pack everything up and leave. But the uh, social media, like I said, we worked it every day, and uh, uh, to the tune of uh, about 19 days, uh, we had over 5 million hits on our social media page, uh, and it was uh, 99% all positive thank you uh, 
keep up the good work. Um, so, uh, again, I think being proactive the way we was really helped out. But, you know, to, to answer your question, it, it takes a, a toll. Um, you know, some roads had to be closed. People had to be uh, rerouted. Um, and now those roads have to be, uh, be repaired somehow. We'll talk more about this after a quick break. You're listening to St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Now back to our conversation with Adam Jones, a fourth-generation farmer in Missouri, and Herb Simmons, the longtime mayor of East Carondelet, Illinois, and director of St. Clair County Emergency Management Agency as we're talking about flooding. Now, Adam, what is it, you know, one of the things that's so different about flooding in terms of natural, natural disasters, like with a tornado, it comes quickly, and then you have this big aftermath. But with flooding, the lead-up is like, so what's it like sitting in your house, looking out over the field, it's already wet and it's raining. What what what's that like? The the weight is the worst part. <clears throat> we 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 joked about it every day that I just wish it would would be here. I wish the crust would be here and and it took forever to come. Um and actually when we thought it had crested the levee broke down Harden and it actually dropped the water all the way up by us. And so we kind of had a little miniature celebration because we thought we were good to go and then it started raising again. Um the it's the the weight is it's terrible. Um, it's nice to have the preparation time. So we were able to build a flood wall around our, our farmhouse. We were able to get everything raised up in our sheds. Um, but we were done with that two days before, you know, before it really, really got there. And you just kind of look around and you think, I can't believe it's going to get four foot higher. I can't believe it's going to get three foot higher. I just can't believe what it's, I can't imagine what it's going to look like when it gets that deep here. Um, and there on our farm, there was nothing left. There was no bare ground left. Everything was underwater. We have, we have our house. Um, we have a, a neighbor has a house there. And then we've got several sheds and grain bins. And there, there was no dry ground left to be had. You know, we came in by boats. and um, So it, it's nice to have the preparation time, but it is mentally exhausting to sit there and, and just try to picture and envision what it's going to be like. And, and you're looking at the forecast, and they're calling for rain at the same time as the crest. And what's, what's that going to do? Because we're also on, a, on the Quiver River, which is a tributary to Mississippi. So we can get flooding, uh, additional flooding from that uh, as well. So, it, you know, you, your, your brain goes pretty crazy trying to figure out exactly what you need to do and, and what's important and what does, isn't important. Um, so it, it's mentally exhausting. Herb, did you have that similar thing when you're filling sandbags and you don't, you know, you have the prediction that it could be as bad as 93, but you don't know for sure? Is it that same mental exhaustion in, during the preparation time? Yeah, and I, I couldn't agree more with what Alan said. I mean, it's uh, from the day we had that first meeting with the officials from the state, uh, my um, stress level started just clicking away because living through the 93 and the the 2015, especially um, working the way up till now, um, it, it starts because the, the mental strain and knowing that uh, back in 93, I was responsible for just East Grandelet, basically. And now in 2019, I'm responsible for 270,000 uh, residents in the county and not only on the Mississippi, but on the Kaskaskia River. So uh, our uh, responsibility was just that much bigger. But... Um, yeah, every day you find yourself. Um, uh, w- one of the ironic parts is that the town hall meeting we had, the National uh, Weather Service people were there, and they were predicting when the crest was going to be. And uh, and I interrupted them, and I said, you know, don't stand here and tell 
this capacity crowd, once this river crest, it's over with because in 1993, I went through seven river crests. And uh, sure enough, here come one crest and then here come another one. So just because it happened the first crest comes, you're not out of the woods yet. And, um, yeah, the stress level is, and like I said, not only on myself but my staff uh, and the volunteers uh, that were coming out uh, helping people um, and, uh, you know, your highway workers and people like that. It's, it's, it's mentally exhausting, as Alan said. No, the Illinois National Guard was there in part to keep people off the levees. Was that a big problem? Oh, yes. It's a um, big problem. Uh, it was a big problem in 93, and um, I, I kind of had hoped that people uh, became better educated uh, after that. But uh, I called the National Guard in because um, a lot of issues are sightseers. Uh, Looky lose. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and the biggest thing is, yeah. and ninety five percent of the people that uh, had to be uh, asked to leave the levy were from Missouri, and their response <laughs> was, "Oh, we want to come over here and see what it looked like." Yeah. And we would tell them, you know, it looks the same on this side as it does the other side. It's a lot of water, um, but you know, the problem is, is that um, if they wanted to come and just get out of the car and look at it, it's fine, but. We'd actually, the first uh, day that the National Guard came in, they actually uh, had three uh, young uh, uh, people taking the sandbags off of one of our flood walls and throwing the bags into the uh, canal and uh, just stuff like that. Why would anybody do that? Just being being dumb. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it was a – but they were there not only to help keep the people uh, off the levees, but they were also our eyes and ears – uh, over in our area, we we have a lot of issues, had a lot of issues with sand boils, and, um, you know, we wanted to make sure the integrity of the levee uh, was intact so they would get out and uh, uh, walk the levees. And um, back in 93, um, one of the biggest sand boils that they located back then, we were able to find from a helicopter. Uh, so we, we did a helicopter flyover this time just to, uh, I sent the levy district personnel and the Corps of Engineer people up just to, so they could get a bird's eye view of it to make sure that uh, there was nothing uh, uh, with the levees that uh, could be seen from above. If you'd like to share your flood story with us, we'd love to hear from you. 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Let's talk about the financial impact of all of this, um, because it sounds like in some ways we dodged the catastrophic things that this area has um, experienced in the past, but there's still a huge financial impact. Adam, do you have any sense yet? Um, I mean, I know it's hard to know this far in advance, but are you? do you have a sense of what this is going to mean for your farm and your operation um, uh, to to be this far behind and with that lower of a yield? It certainly means we won't be profitable this year. <clears throat> um, I, I would estimate that our gross revenues will be off by somewhere over $400,000. Um, that's gross, not net, obviously. And they're off, you know, obviously impacted by grain prices and commodity prices, which, which have risen since all this rain and because planting is delayed all across, you know, not just Missouri, but Illinois and Iowa as well. Um, so So prices have seen some rebounding. Unfortunately, when you have to take prevent plant for, for you through your crop insurance, that price is set in February. And did you do that? Uh, yes, we have filed prevent plant on some of our acres. We're still hopeful to plant some soybeans around, the, around our house there. Uh, we understand the yields will be very, very bad, but we have contracts we have to fill. That's another you know, issue that farmers have. If you have a grain contract, if you'd marketed some of that grain already, 
you have to fill that. Um, so it, it's it's going to have a huge financial impact on us. Um, like I said, we're, we're certainly not going to be profitable this year, but, but thanks to crop insurance, we'll be able to exist until next year. What about the um, the USDA program for the trade mitigation that will pay you based on uh, profitability of your county, <laughs> since it's related to other people around your county, will that help at least some? So the Mark Facilitation Program, or mm-hmm. MFP, yes. um, is only will only be paid on planted acres. Um, and that's that's the way it has to be through the through the program, through the CCC program as it's set. That's Was there the, a deadline for planted by a certain date? Uh, yeah, so it has to be planted by, well, there's a, there's a you know, as you mentioned, uh, June 5th for corn and beans, soybeans is July 15th. Okay. And then you've got 20 days after that where your insurance drops a percent every day, and then you have a hard cutoff um, at that point in time. Mm-hmm. So there are there are deadlines for that. Um, there's also um, common sense deadlines of when it's profitable and when it's not profitable to plant a crop on your own fields. You know, we know that the later it gets, you know, as you get to the, as the crop starts maturing late in August, if there's no rain or even if we had an early spring when you're planting this late, you know, or I'm sorry, early fall and we have an early frost, you know, then the, that plant might not make uh, put beans on. So we are not eligible for the MFP if you don't plant the acres. Sure. Um, they have circumvented that slightly by allowing people to plant cover crops. If you plant a cover crop, you're going to be eligible. I have, the details are not out yet, so I don't know if it's going to be a portion of that MFP payment. Um, but you'll still be out the cost you know, to plant the cover crop, so probably going to be a break-even at that point. So depending on the weather in the fall, depending on how long it grows, depending on the moisture, and and I mean, if it gets wet and you can't get out there <laughs> to harvest, that could be enough. So it's not going to be good, but it might be even worse depending on the weather at harvest time. Yeah, and especially if we had an early frost. If we, mm-hmm. when you plant soybeans this late, um, sure. it's where you run into um, a potential, you know, bad condition there. If, if we get the early frost and kill the plant off. Now, Herb, you, you're, how, what impact financially does this have on St. Clair County and your city and other cities in the region? Well, it's it's definitely going to have an impact on on the county. Um, we're in the uh, process now of uh, still uh, pumping water. Um, and we probably will for the next uh, probably two to three weeks. Um, you know, as Alan said, you know, the ground is still saturated, even though we've had some uh, good weather out there. Uh, some of the uh, tributaries are, are, are receding, um, and we want them to go down slow, especially at first, because we don't want to have many slides or anything on the inside of the levees. Um, so now, but it can go down as quick as it wants to. <laughs> I want to get it down and get get on. But financially, um, you know, we're uh, working with the state and uh, with all the uh, uh, county municipalities because anybody who has suffered any uh, losses um, or incurred any costs, they have to submit those uh, to my office, and then we compile the uh, total at that time and we'll submit it to the state. Uh, and what we'll be shooting for is to, uh, for the state to get a federal declaration uh, through FEMA, uh, and that's our hopes. We did that in 2015, and of course, uh, we didn't we didn't receive that. And you asked for more than two million dollars in reimbursement from the federal government and got zero. Yeah, uh, actually, we uh, you know that was through the state, and they have to file it through FEMA. Okay, and then they were turned down. Uh, the point, though, in 2015, your county was out two million bucks. Yeah. And that was all the municipalities together that suffered uh, some type of loss. Do you have a sense of what that number may look like this year? Yeah, I would say um, it's probably going to be a little bit less. Um, I I know the community of East Grandelette, the roads that uh, were impacted there is probably going to be right about a million dollars. I just got those numbers last night from the engineer. 
Um, and I haven't even got the numbers from down along the Kaskaskia River, but uh, like I said, they've got about 12 roads down there that's still got water on them that's probably going to have to be one of them is a bridge that's going to have to be replaced. Uh, the county has to reach, uh, in order to uh, reach their threshold, is about $1.2 million. Uh, and the state's total threshold that they have to meet is uh, right at $19 million. Um, so I, 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 I have no doubt in my mind that the state will reach their threshold and then again uh, you get into the battle with the FEMA people well what's coverable what isn't how much we're going to allow for this or that so it's it's a long process we have just about 30 seconds left you know great prevention your farm will rebound at some level what is the takeaway message briefly that you'd like people to realize about how we may have gotten through this flood but it's still a huge problem yeah, it's it's a problem, and I tell people all the time, you know, the, the Mississippi River was originally a bluff for bluff, and mankind has squeezed it down and built higher. Uh, we're going to continue to have flooding, uh, and I just ask people to be uh, vigilant and uh, and uh, follow what the, the local emergency management people suggest to them, and that's to stay alert. Same thing for farmers, Adam? Yeah, just for the general public, don't forget about the flood just because the ro- water goes off the road. Um, we need help. We need better flood protection. So, I want to thank Missouri farmer Adam Jones and East Carondelet Mayor Herb Simmons, who's also the director of the St. Clair County Emergency Management Agency, for joining us today. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.